I uh, am going to be looking today at Luke chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in verse 31. And while you're turning there, I wanted to share a little trivia with you. Uh, the first hymn that we sang is one of my favorites, Praise You the Lord, the Almighty. Uh, every time I have a special occasion, that song, uh, that hymn gets sung uh, at our wedding. I think when I was ordained, uh, when I was installed here, we sang that hymn. So it's a special hymn, and the, the author, uh, interesting, uh, Joaquin Neander was a very prolific hymn writer, and he loved to spend time outdoors in the valley and surrounding areas where he lived and composed many of his hymns uh, was named for him, the Neander Valley. And of course, that is where they discovered the Neanderthal man. So the Neanderthal man is named for a hymn writer. Though if someone calls you a Neanderthal, uh, that's not a compliment. You're not being called a hymn writer. Uh, You're being called a caveman. Uh, So I don't know how uh, true that is. I'm not a scientist, but uh, I know the story is true. And and, uh, he's more well known for his uh, being uh, the, the man who gave his name to a caveman than he is a hymn writer, sadly enough. But uh, anyway, your little dose of trivia for the day. Uh, today we're going to turn from the ridiculous to the sublime and look at these uh, two passages, two accounts here in Luke chapter 18, verse 31 and following. And here is God's holy inspired and errant word to us. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, And they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought up to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, gave praise to God. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. What we have before us this morning, uh, two seemingly very different accounts. One, uh, first, the disciples are told by Jesus that he is to suffer and die and, and rise from the dead. And they don't grasp what Jesus is saying. Luke is very adamant about this and he uses three different phrases to show their obtuseness. They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. It just went right over their heads. They were clueless as to what Jesus 
was talking about. So you have that account, and in the second account, you have this blind man in Jericho who, according to the parallel passages in Matthew and Mark, was Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, and he uh, persistently cries out to Jesus who was passing by on his way from old Jerusalem into um, old Jericho into the new Jericho, so that's why you have uh, some accounts saying he was leaving Jericho, some as he was going to Jericho. There's two cities of Jericho next to one another. One was the old one that Joshua knocked down, the old site, and then the new site. And so somewhere between that site, those two sites, here was uh, Bartimaeus on the side of the road begging, and he hears that Jesus is coming by, and so he cries out to him persistently to be healed, and of course Jesus heals him. Now, as different as these two episodes seem, they are, in fact, related. On one hand, you have the disciples who have physical sight, but no spiritual sight. And then Bartimaeus, who does not have physical sight, he has spiritual sight. Bartimaeus saw something that the disciples did not comprehend. What Bartimaeus understood better than the disciples was this. He understood better than the disciples the nature of Jesus' mission. Now this is of vital importance to me and you today. It's imperative that we understand why Jesus came to earth. And here's why. If you misunderstand why Jesus came then you will seek the wrong things from him. If you misunderstand why Jesus came to earth, you'll be looking to him for the wrong things. Now, people seek Jesus and follow him for many reasons. Well, you're here in church. The question is, why are you here in church? Most everyone here would identify themselves as a Christian, I'm sure. But... Just as I'm about to show you from these two accounts, confusion about Jesus and his mission can lead you down the wrong path, away from the gospel, actually. Now, both of the disciples, both the disciples and Bartimaeus, were correct about one thing. They both understood one thing that they had right. They both understood that Jesus is the Messiah. That was was, uh, true. And both of them agreed to it. Back in Luke chapter 9, you have Peter's great confession. Uh, He was speaking for all the disciples. Remember, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And some people say he was Elijah, and some people one of the prophets, or uh, John the Baptist raised from the dead. And Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ of God. And here, Bartimaeus, in the account before us, is crying out, son of David. Have mercy on me. Now, these terms, Christ of God and Son of David, are alternate names for Messiah. The word Christ is the Greek term for the Hebrew word Messiah. Both mean anointed one or chosen one. And Son of David refers to the fact that the Messiah is of the lineage of David. He's a a great king. Now, however... Even though both the disciples and Bartimaeus recognized Jesus as the Messiah, the disciples failed to understand what his mission was as the Messiah. Bartimaeus had a better understanding of why the Messiah came to earth. 
Bartimaeus was more in touch with the mission of Jesus. And that's why his faith saved him. Well, let's first look at the disciples. The disciples have physical sight, but they don't have spiritual sight. Look at verse 31 where Jesus says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Now, when he said that, up to that point, I believe the, the disciples were tracking with Jesus. They, they said, yeah, right. Uh, everything written about the prophets will be accomplished. And uh, they were tracking with that, and they had been taught the prophecies of the Old Testament. However, they were so intent upon those prophecies that spoke of the glory of the Messiah, they overlooked those texts that spoke about his sufferings. All they could think about when they thought about the Messiah was glory and, and power and uh, the kingship of the Messiah. And that's what they focused on. All that other stuff about suffering, for example, from Isaiah 53, they just read right past that, overlooked that, as many do today. And we talked a good deal about this in Christianity Explored class, and I've mentioned it numerous times in sermons in the past, so I know that I'm being repetitive, so bear with me if you've heard this before. But the disciples believed that Jesus was going to immediately usher in this golden age, the messianic age, an age where Israel returns to the glory days of King David. They were looking for, these, uh, for a Messiah. And, and, you know, if you look through the history, especially that history between the Old and New Testament, a number of people uh, arose up in that area proclaiming to be the Messiah. And they would always be some sort of military leader and they would try to stage a coup against the the Romans, and the Romans would come and crush them, destroy them, and everybody would go, well, I guess that wasn't the Messiah. They were all looking for uh, an earthly king to come and free them from Roman domination. And that's what the disciples are thinking about here. They had read over those parts that talked about the suffering servant in the prophecies about the Messiah. So they believed in this, uh, this uh, coming kingdom, and that's probably what they thought was going to happen once they got to Jerusalem. That's where they were headed, towards Jerusalem. They, they didn't think of Jesus suffering and dying. They were looking forward to a coronation, not a crucifixion. This is why James and John earlier uh, had asked Jesus when they were traveling to Jerusalem on, the, on this journey towards Jerusalem, uh, they come into a Samaritan village, and the Samaritan village will not receive them because they are headed to Jerusalem. And James and John says, hey, uh, you know, you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy these people? And Jesus rebukes them, rightfully so. But they were going to a coronation. They were going to take power, they thought. A and anybody that stood in the way of that or opposed that, well, we'll call fire down from heaven. It's the same reason that James and John asked Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, uh, can we sit on your right hand and on your left hand? You know, they wanted power from Jesus. And when Jesus predicts his death another time, that's why Peter rebukes him. The Messiah can't die. You've got to reign. How can you reign if you're dead? And of course, Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, because... 
Peter does not understand Jesus' mission. And he's being a tool of Satan trying to get Jesus, trying to tempt Jesus to take earthly power instead of the power that he's come to, to exercise, destroying sin and ultimately all the consequences of sin, including death. See, the disciples could not see the fullness of the gospel message because it was so different from what they had taught and, and were expecting. And that's a lesson for us. Here's a little side lesson for us. Read all the scriptures, not just your favorite parts, not just the parts where you like what it says, but read it all and seek to understand it all and see how it all fits together and have a full orb understanding of the scriptures. That was the mistake that many made in those days. They did not understand the nature of the Messiah in his reign. Now, here's the important point here. Because they had a faulty understanding of Jesus' mission, they followed him for the wrong reasons. They were looking to be empowered by Jesus. They were riding his coattails to glory and to power. They were looking to conquer all of Israel's enemies. Now, we have to look at ourselves. Now, we may not be looking to be empowered in the same way that the disciples were looking to be empowered. But you and I can just as easily fall into that same error. There are many examples of people who use Jesus for their own empowerment. And just a few examples. Some people use Jesus because they think following him will bring them health or wealth. They don't really want Jesus. What they want is the health or the wealth. They're just using Jesus to get it. And that's a lot of their television preachers are proclaiming that message. Some people use Jesus because they believe he will give them their best life now. If you follow his teachings, if you follow his rules, then things will go well for you. Some people use him as a resume builder. You know, going to church and being a moral person makes them look good to others or, or even to themselves. And that's self-righteousness. They're, they're looking to uh, look good to everybody. And, and some people use Jesus to fit into the culture where going to church is expected from so-called good people. Just part of the culture and, and you're expected to go to church by your family or by the culture at large. It's still true in the South, I believe, to some degree. Now, Jesus' mission is not to meet our personal agenda. The disciples had plans for Jesus, and it didn't involve suffering and dying. What plans do you have for Jesus? Are you, in effect, saying to Jesus, here are my plans, here's what I want, and I want you to help me accomplish them? A lot of people fall into that way of thinking. Well, that's not going to meet your greatest need. Are you so locked into your agenda for your life that you cannot hear what the Lord is saying to you in the gospel? That's, that's the dangerous place that we can find ourselves with the same kind of attitude that the disciples had here. Well, see, the disciples were off. Now, thankfully, the disciples got it later. You know, after... Jesus dies and rises again. They had the benefit of Jesus coming to them uh, glorified. He taught them, and they got the Holy Spirit, 
and they were completely changed. And they, then they grasped the nature of Jesus' mission. And you see Peter speaking up at the day of Pentecost and preaching the gospel. He got it finally. But at this point, they didn't get it. But Bartimaeus did. And, and Bartimaeus, of course, doesn't have physical sight, but he has spiritual sight. Now, at first glance, as we look at Bartimaeus, we might think that he's out for himself and his own agenda. He wants to see. And he's rather persistent about it. It tells us there in verse 35, uh, when Jesus is coming into Jericho and Bartimaeus is there begging and he hears this crowd coming along and you know, what's it all mean? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He's obviously heard of Jesus. It says he... Verse 38, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people tell him to shut up. <laughs> you know, you're, just be quiet over there. But he's all the more persistent. He cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And of course, Jesus stops and heals him. Well, is Bartimaeus just using Jesus? Well, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so because... He cries out for mercy. He cries out for mercy, and, and that is an important point here. Yes, he wants to recover his sight, but his initial cry is for mercy. Now, you, we, we need to understand the prevailing opinion of the day towards blindness and other physical maladies that people had. He would have had a particular attitude about his own blindness, about why he was blind, and what he had been told was the reason for his blindness. When he's crying out for mercy, he's not simply saying, Lord, have mercy on me by repairing my optic nerve. Uh, Jesus, have mercy on me by fixing my retina or my cornea or whatever problem he was having. He was looking deeper than that because he would have understand his own blindness in a different way than that. Over in John chapter 9, we have another account of a blind man being healed by Jesus, a man born blind. And Jesus heals the man. And uh, before he heals him, as, he, as, they, as the disciples and Jesus are going along, and they see this man begging on the side of the road, the disciples ask, and it reflects that attitude of the culture of the day, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Who sinned, this man or his parents? So the prevailing thought was, if you were blind or lame or deaf, that it was because of your sin. You sinned at some point, or your parents sinned, and this is a punishment from God. We see it further reflected later in chapter 9 of John. When uh, the man has recovered his sight, he's, uh, he's appearing before the authorities, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, and, and uh, they're arguing about Jesus. And he's saying, well, Nobody's ever healed a man born blind. How could this man not be from God, like you're saying? And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out of the synagogue. 
See, there's the attitude. Since you were blind, since you were born blind, you were born in utter sin. Now, Bartimaeus was, had been told this his entire life. This is what they've been taught. It's the same thing that we see in the book of Job. Job suffered. We know that it wasn't because he was unrighteous in any way, but actually because he was righteous that Satan wanted to test him and God allows it to happen. So Job and Job's friends come and say, well, Job, you obviously have sinned. Sorry about that. Too animated. So Job, Job wasn't suffering because he was a sinner, but the fact remains, by the time you get to the end of the book, he recognizes, even though he suffered righteously, he still was a sinner. Now Bartimaeus was certainly conscious of his own sin, and even though his blindness was not caused by his sin, the fact remains, he was a sinner. And he believed that he was a sinner. He knew that he was a sinner, and he knew that he needed mercy. So when he cries out for mercy, and he does say, I want to see, he's asking the Lord to remove this curse of sin from him that has come on him. He thinks because he's blind but surely he knows that all that he's ever been told about himself is actually true, even though it wasn't true that his blindness was caused by that. He was still a sinner, just like Job, who was righteous, but still a sinner, just like all of us. See, he wants to be completely cleansed. He wants to be renewed from the center of his being outwardly. And that's why he persistently calls out, have mercy on me, son of David. And he is. Look at verse 42. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. That verse literally says, Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. It's the word for salvation. Yes, he got healed and his sight was restored. But more than that, he was saved from the guilt of his sin from the power of his sin, and one day saved from even the presence of sin. Bartimaeus understood what his deepest problem was, that it wasn't just that he couldn't see, it was that he had a heart problem. He was a sinner. And if he was simply looking for restoration of sight, uh, after he got healed, he could have gone on his merry way. He got what he was after, right? He, he could see now. So he could go on. But no, what does he do? He follows Jesus. Verse 30, 43, he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. Do we recognize our greatest need, the greatest problem that we have? You see, we, we want Jesus to fix our, the problems we want fixed. That tends to be why we sometimes pursue Jesus. Maybe it is a particular sin that we're struggling with. Or maybe it is a, a, a problem, a, 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 an emotional problem that we have. Uh, 
uh, maybe we just want to belong. We come to Jesus for so many reasons. But we need to remember that our greatest need, our deepest need, is that we're, we're sinners. And we don't need a little assistance. We don't need a little help. We need a Savior. I hate that bumper sticker or car tag that says, God is my co-pilot. That's the worst thing ever. I hope, you don't, I hope nobody has one on their car. I'm sorry if I offended you. Uh, God shouldn't be the co-pilot. He should be the pilot. <laughs> you know, he's not just there to lend you assistance to your agenda. He's driving the plane, and you're just on board. And be thankful that he let you on board his plane. God is the pilot. God is the one who's in charge. And when we come to him, we need to drop our agenda and submit to his agenda for our lives, whatever that might be. But to look to him not just for help but for mercy because that's, that's what we need more than anything else in the world. Well, I read a story this week about a, a children's sermon. I was doing research on this uh, uh, Bartimaeus and I read about this children's sermon that went on during a worship service and, and the leader, he had them all gathered out up front, you know, as you do sometimes with children's sermon and uh, they're dealing with this story about Bartimaeus and so the leader asked the children, what would you ask Jesus for if you were Bartimaeus? And one little girl raises her hand and she says, I would ask for a seeing eye dog. And uh, turns out that the little girl had been asking her parents for a dog for, for months and it's all she could talk about. It's all she could think about. So this was an opportunity for her to maybe ask for a little divine help in getting a dog. Well, just think about that for a moment. What if, what if Bartimaeus, when Jesus came to him, said, I want to see an eye dog. Or, or I want one of those long white canes that would help me feel my way along. Or I would like, Jesus, for you to give me a whole lot of money so I don't have to sit out here and beg anymore. And I'd be taken care of for the rest of my life. You know, there's a lot of things that he could have asked for. But none of those things would have solved his greatest problem. So he asked for mercy, which is what we all need. We don't need to ask for anything else, anything on our agenda items. We need mercy because we are sinners. Now, all those things that he could have asked for would have made his life better, but they would have not met that greatest need or solved his greatest problem. And the same is true for you and me. So by way of application here, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this, this idea, this understanding of Jesus' mission? and what he came to do, to be the savior of sinners. Well, first of all, number one, you need to recognize that your greatest problem is your sin. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all fall short of God's holiness. And that's our, that's our greatest problem. People don't like to hear that. I'm sorry. It's the truth. A friend of mine uh, first date he went out with his now wife, uh, he knew she was the one because she pointed out that he had mustard on his chin. She, she was honest and, and open with him, and, and he liked that. And, and uh, they've been married many, many 
years now. But that's what we're saying here. I mean, you got mustard on your chin. You're a sinner. It's, it's the truth. It's, it's where we all are, and we are, we are not righteous. No, not one. That's what the Bible teaches us clearly. So we need to recognize our greatest problem, our greatest need, which is mercy. We need mercy. And mercy means that just by its very definition means that you're, you're getting something that you don't deserve, right? You don't deserve. If, you're, if someone has to give you mercy, they're just doing you a favor, right? They're, they're, they're not giving you what you deserve. They're being kind to you. They're being gracious towards you. That's what you're asking for from the Lord. I need mercy. I don't earn it. I'm not good, I don't deserve it, I'm a sinner, and I need mercy. So, yeah, you've got to recognize your need. Secondly, you've got to recognize that Jesus came for that purpose, to extend mercy. It was a mercy that he left heaven, took on human flesh, came to earth, and his whole life, was an act of mercy because it was a rescue mission to save sinful human beings like Bartimaeus, like the disciples, like you and me. Jesus came for that purpose, not just to help you with your agenda, not just to improve your life, but to save you from your sin. So drop whatever agenda you have for Jesus and come to him for mercy. So one, recognize your need. Two, recognize Jesus as Savior. And thirdly, out of love and gratitude, once you have experienced his mercy, how can you follow him and give glory to God? That's what Bartimaeus did. You know, he, he had been cleansed and renewed and the curse had been lifted. And now he was free to have a relationship with the Savior. And he did. He followed him and glorified God. And that's what our lives should look like as Christians living out of love and gratitude for the one who laid down his life, as Jesus reiterated, was spat upon, was mistreated, was killed, buried, rose from the grave. How can we show that one who rescues us from our sinfulness? How can we show him love and gratitude? Well, those three things I hope you take with you and remember and, and that you will like Bartimaeus, persistently call out to him. You know, he was told to be quiet, but he didn't stop. I, I would challenge all of us to do the same, to continue to call out to the Lord for mercy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we pray for your mercy. We need your mercy. Um, Lord, we are sinners. We pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us and renew us. Remove from us the guilt of sin. Remove the power of sin, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live out of that hope that one day, which is an anchor for the soul, that one day you will free us from the very presence of sin. And all of its consequences, thank you, Lord, that we can know that even death has been conquered 
because sin, uh, death is the result of sin. And if there's no more sin, there's no more death. And you have conquered death, and you hold the keys to death in Hades, Lord. So, Father, we come to you. I pray that everyone here would, that we would all put our lives in your hands to say, not my will, but your will be done, just as you prayed when you went to the cross for us. Father, we pray that you would help us to drop our agenda items and for seeking just the blessings that you can give us and not seeking you, the Savior. Lord, we pray that you would write these things upon our hearts and that we would carry it with us and keep it, keep it in mind and, and be constantly humbling ourselves, recognizing that all, all we have from you comes from your mercy. And may we be thankful. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.